Good evening. My Bible is open to Acts chapter 18, and I'm inviting you to open to that same location. Acts chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. We studied one of the Lord's parables this morning, learning that we should do what we're able to do to the best of our individual ability without comparing ourselves to others, yet knowing that we will stand before God and give account after a while. And if we are not acting according to full responsibility that we have, we ought to dig our talent back out of the ground and urgently apply effort. Now, here is another parable, and it comes right after something the Lord said about prayer. As chapter 18 opens, Jesus spoke of prayer. He told another story there and identified the purpose of it in verse 1, to the effect that they should always pray and not lose heart. And that story concluded with this statement, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And here's what came after that in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Luke 18, 9 through 14. First of all, during our time together, I want to bring to our attention the components of the story with the promise that most of our time will be spent with the applications. So let's start with the various components of the story. First of all, the audience. It says in verse 9, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Here are two things usually combined. Self-righteousness and treating others with contempt. So Jesus knows his audience. He knows his listeners. And in our case, his readers, perhaps. 
And in his divine genius, he crafted this story to expose and reach any among his listeners who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. There were people then, before Jesus, in his time, who trusted in themselves. That is to say, their confidence was in their assumed good behavior as they made a judgment about themselves. And we know that all through the Bible, trust in God is commended. Reliance on Him, responding to Him, depending on His mercy. But there were those in Jesus' presence, and there are people today, who instead of reliance on God, rely on themselves. And along with that, treat others with contempt. Jesus had perfect insight into his audience. Knowing that, he introduces a story about two men. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, or in some translations, a publican. Pharisees thought of themselves a lot. And they trusted in themselves to the point where they would set all others at naught. They were often the object of the Lord's rebuke, and on one occasion Jesus called them hypocrites, blind guides, and he said, You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones. That's in Matthew chapter 23. Far less than a flattering portrait, Matthew 23 and 24. Now, the publicans or tax collectors were men who were not held in high esteem by the Jewish people. They collected money for the Roman treasury. And it was commonly known that they skimmed a little off the top for their own pockets. So the only thing these two men generally in that culture have in common in the story Jesus tells is they both went to the temple to pray. Compare their prayers. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes that all that I get. Now, pause there. This man has one thing on his mind, and he wants God to know. Can you imagine standing before God and saying, let me tell you, Lord, how good I am. That's the posture, the tone, the content of the Pharisee's prayer. He starts his prayer by addressing God, but everything after that's about himself. He's promoting himself. He's singing his praises. Or it might be said, he's making sure God has his resume on his desk. And remember, 
This story had a specific audience when Jesus told the story. Those who trusted in themselves. Now the other man, the tax collector, tells God one thing. One thing. I'm a sinner in need of mercy. Already you see two very different attitudes. The tax collector tells God one thing. I'm a sinner in need of mercy. His prayer, therefore, exhibits no awareness of or comparison with anybody else. He knows one thing about himself. He knew he was a sinner who needed mercy. And Jesus brings his story to a conclusion in verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. And then he adds this. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So that's the story Jesus told. So let's talk about, let's consider, let's think about the applications of that story. Number one, we don't wear self-promotion well. We are creatures made in the image of God. We didn't make ourselves. We are made in the image of God, by God and for God. Whether we acknowledge our humility or not, we are, in fact, by creation, human beings made in the image of God, fundamentally by creation truth, humble. And this comes out in the Lord's conclusion. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, one point of this story is we do not wear self-promotion well because we can make no claim worthy of self-promotion. Bravado and status and pride never takes us where we think we need to be in our shallow self-image. Notice, we're not going to read this, but notice right after the parable in verses 15 to 17, Jesus isn't attending a parade in honor of the Pharisees. He's inviting children to come to him which exhibits humility, and that's a kingdom image. We don't wear self-promotion well because we are creatures made in the image of God. Pride isn't the only sin, but it may be the essence of sin. Could it be we can see pride in others, but we may be blinded to detect pride in ourselves. So I would say to myself and to all of us, listen to how you speak to God in prayer. Carefully consider the words that you frame in your mind before you engage Him in prayer. Listen to how you speak of yourself as compared to how you speak of God 
and to God. We don't wear self-promotion well. Number two. Two evils often are combined. I noted this earlier. Self-righteousness and despising others. Just as soon as we climb up that mountain to exalt ourselves and sing our praises and think about how good we are and what God needs to know about us, what's connected to that is very often despising others that we consider who are still down in the valley of their immaturity. Pharisees can come in many different packages. Sometimes not as visible as those in the first century. Your attitude about yourself, my attitude about myself may not be as vocal as the man in the parable. In fact, our self-evaluation doesn't begin with words. My self-evaluation, your self-evaluation begins with thoughts. And if I think of myself more highly than I should, though I may not express it vocally, if I think of myself more highly than I should, and I let that seed of pride grow, the garden is going to be ugly. And along with that, even if only in my head... Even if I do not vocalize it, self-righteousness is generally accompanied by despising others. So, we are warned by this. When we start thinking about others who don't measure up to us, it's not us they need to measure up to. I may not wear a badge of honor on my chest. I may not hold a parade in my honor. My pride may never be vocalized in prayer or in words to others. But if we think we are great, if we esteem ourselves worthy of merit and distinction, despising others generally comes right along with that. Two evils connected self-righteousness and despising others now on the other hand humility takes a sober and biblical view of who we are before god where we stand never forgetting that the standard of comparison is the character of god himself not the horizontal comparisons that we do on earth The life of Christ exhibits God's standard about how life ought to be lived. The credit of the tax collector is that he knew where he stood as he approached God. God is pleased when we look at ourselves in the light of who he is. May each of us beware lest... We have even just at the thought level, even if just early in the thought level, the thinking moves toward the direction of how much better we are than others. And therefore we must be right with God. No, that's not the standard. Number three from our parable. 
The only time it is legitimate to view the sins of others is when we desire to save them from their sin. Here in Luke, turn back to the previous chapter, Luke 17, and listen to verses 1 through 4 in Luke 17. Jesus said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one who th uh, through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, observe right in the middle of this paragraph. I mean right in the middle of it. First phrase, verse 3. In the English Standard Version, pay attention to yourselves. Other translations take heed to yourself. Now, just keep reading. If your brother sins, rejoice because it makes you feel better and look better? No. That's wrong thinking. It is part of the Pharisee frame of mind. Here's what Jesus said. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, go back and sequence that. Sin, rebuke with a view toward repentance, and then when genuine repentance is exhibited, forgiveness. So we react to the sin of others not as a trophy on our shelf. The only time it is legitimate to view the sins of others is when we desire to help them and save them out of their sin. My brother's fall into sin never makes me look better and should never make me feel better about myself. It should make me rescue my brother who fell into sin. So, 1 Corinthians 13, love never rejoices in evil. Sometimes, when we talk about the sins of others, there can be a hidden agenda. It makes us feel better. That's ill-conceived. It is pride and trust in ourselves. Number four from the parable. May the lyrics of this song echo in our hearts all the time. How great thou art. Not how great I am in comparison to others. 
how great thou art. See, when we sing that song, how great I am, it's always out of tune. It's always out of tune. All of our thoughts and prayers and worship and Bible study and preaching and living must sincerely acknowledge the greatness of God. We are not that great. Notice five times in two verses in the parable, the Pharisee uses the first person singular pronoun. I, me. In our assertive society, various forms of pride and self-esteem get top billing. Humility and meekness is often equated with weakness. And that ill-conceived concept in society is easy to grasp when the greatness of God is absent. Did you know that among pagan authors, especially in the Roman era, in the time of Jesus and the apostles, pagan authors, especially in that time, made very little mention of humility. Almost no mention at all in many of their writings. Seldom was humility ever commended. Because the common idea in that world was, and perhaps in our world today, that humility belongs to the weak. Abject characters in the writings of the pagans. But it's the hallmark of Christian character. Paul said in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So let's turn the point in this direction. I want us to imagine for a moment how odd, how out of place it would sound for us to tell God how great we are. I mean, how would that sound? And if you start to frame those words, you immediately have a sense of alarm about it. Lord, have you noticed how good I am? Uh, you can see my checkbook and you know how much I gave to the church last year. And you know all the services that I attend and all the prayers that I've prayed and all the buildings I've cleaned and all the big name sins I've avoided. See, it's embarrassing to even frame words that contain any kind of boasting to God about how great we are. When Paul said in Romans 3.27, boasting is excluded. All right, now go to the contrast. The tax collector measured himself by the God he was speaking to and the greatness of that God. 
And what did he say? Be merciful to me, a sinner. If I'm a sinner, the remedy is never boasting claims of merit or thinking more highly of myself compared to others. The remedy is always to appeal to God for mercy that can be received by the activity of faith in Christ. If your assessment of how much better you are than others is your assurance of salvation, you need to rethink your self-evaluation. And you need to listen to Christ, and I need to listen to Christ, and we need to then get on our knees and plea for mercy. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What counts is... A heart that fully appreciates who God is, what he's done for sinners, and what he wants us to do in response to Jesus Christ. I'm going to leave you with two admonitions from Scripture and then a good quote. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that, that at the proper time he may exalt you. A gospel preacher, Paul Earnhardt, wrote, The result of the two prayers is poetic. The man who felt so full left empty. The man who felt so empty left full. Let's be standing as we sing. <laughs>